Good morning, TLC. I'm so glad you're here this morning. Have you ever been watching a television show? Could be documentary, could be anything. And uh, the person that comes on and begins to speak is speaking English, same language you speak, but their accent is so radically different that you can't understand like a word they're saying. Now, it's uh, one thing if you're watching it on a TV show. A whole nother thing, though, if you're hanging out in person with said individual who then begins to speak and you can't understand it, uh, way worse when that said conversation happens on live TV, and even worse when it's actually happening and you both belong to the same government for the same country. Watch this clip. Much, uh, Mr. Speaker, I know from speaking to a number of parliamentary colleagues that there are still certain aspects of the estate, including the northern estate, that are not great for people with disabilities. Can I ask yeah, yeah, the yeah. honourable gentleman what work is being done to make sure that this place is more accessible, particularly for some of our colleagues who have a disability? Here, here. I'm sorry. It must be something to do with my antipodean background. Could you please repeat the question because I didn't follow it? <laughs> wow. <laughs> well. Very popular today. Um, I, I'm saying that a number of parliamentary colleagues who have disabilities do find it quite difficult getting around certain parts of the state. Given that we're doing this refurbishment work, what can be done to make sure that those with a disability are, are able to move around more freely and the place is accessible? I'm really sorry. Please, could you do it very slowly and then oh, no. in English? Thank you. Just give me old answer. I'll take the answer. I think the answer might be helped if you can reply in writing when you read. <laughs> right, Chris? <laughs> they literally are part of the same government, and they can't understand. One of, how many of you guys can understand everything he was saying? Oh, that's pretty impressive. I got, like, pieces of it. I kind of knew. Uh, I was so excited because in the first service, we have uh, an Australian and two Brits. And so I was really looking forward to seeing, can they, do they understand it, right? And they were laughing about the different accents. That's a glass, glass, we, Weegan, Weegan, glass, glass, I don't know, something. He's from Scotland, <laughs> Glasgow. And the other guy speaks uh, English, but with a Geordie accent, I learned. And so they did not know what the other one was saying. What do you do in a situation like that? How do you go about figuring out what somebody is saying when they have an accent that's so radically different that you can't understand it? Well, there's really kind of three things that you can do, right? You can get a translator. That's the first option. Go ahead and get a translator. Somebody that probably knows the person, knows what they're saying, and they, they understand how, how, how you speak, and they can kind of help translate. You can hear it. The second thing you can do is you can turn on the subtitles. You ever been watching a TV show, and you're like, I have no idea what is being said here? You go turn on the subtitles, right? I'm going to talk about this in just a minute, but God's Word is basically subtitles for helping us understand God's accent. Number three, you can spend lots of time with the person. The more you spend time with a person, the more you begin to understand their intonations, their pace, the way that they speak. And uh, what might have felt very foreign at one time, the more you spend time with them, the more you begin to understand how they talk and you recognize their speech patterns. Did you know that every single person has an accent? Uh, a lot of folks like to think like, no, 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 I'm from, I think it's Iowans who say this. I'm from Iowa. We don't have an accent. And like, baloney. Everybody has an accent. In fact, linguist, uh, linguistic, uh, people that study linguist, ling, 
that language, that stuff, linguisticians. I don't know, I'm making up words now. Whatever, linguists, I guess that's how you say it. I'm really smart and educated, so just work with me. Uh, they actually say this, in sociolinguistics, an accent is a manner of pronunciation peculiar to a particular individual, location, or nation. So what that means is, your mom has an accent, and so does God. Your mom has an accent, and so does God. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open up to 1 Samuel chapter 3. Let me tell you what we're going to do this morning. This morning, I want to look at two passages of Scripture, and then I'm going to give you kind of our big idea for the morning, okay? We're going to talk just a little bit about that. That's going to kind of be like the burger of the morning, okay? And then after uh, we talk about that big idea burger, uh, then I'm going to give you six condiments that will help you enjoy that burger way more. Cool? All right, that's what we're going to do. You're like, I'm not even following. That's okay. I just kind of made that up. So <laughs> we're going we're gonna to make this happen, though. So 1 Samuel chapter 3, here we go. 1 Samuel chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We actually read this. Uh, let me give you a little bit of background. There's two characters here. Uh, one, his name is Samuel. He's a young boy at this point in his life. We're not 100% sure. Could be 10, 12, 13, somewhere in that ballpark. He's actually living at the temple. Uh, Samuel was an answer to his mom's prayer. And as a result uh, of God answering her prayer and giving her a son, she uh, then gives him back. Uh, she dedicates him to the Lord. And so he winds up being raised basically at the temple uh, under the tutelage of Eli, uh, who is the high priest in Israel. Uh, Eli had been uh, at one time a pretty good high priest listening to God, but for a long time he's kind of uh, gotten away from that. In fact, Eli's sons are uh, quite horrible, and uh, he's kind of raising up Samuel to take his place, but Samuel's pretty young uh, at this point. And this is kind of where we pick up the story, chapter 3, verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was laying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying, in, uh, lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Samuel didn't know God's voice yet. He heard God's voice, but he didn't know that it was God speaking. In fact, he couldn't actually discern between Eli's voice and God's voice. And at first, Eli wasn't even catching on either. But Eli had had enough experience of hearing God's voice that he finally realized that it wasn't him who was calling Samuel, it was God himself 
that was wanting to speak to Samuel. And so that's when he finally instructs him. Eli kind of became a translator, if you will, to help Samuel begin to understand what the voice of God sounds like. Um, We have another story in John chapter 10 that is really important that I want us to get to in just a second. But before we go there, I'd like to give you our big idea for the morning, okay? Uh, When I say God has an accent, I don't mean that God has a certain pitch to his voice that, hello, this is God, like anytime you hear Samuel L. Jackson, you know, right? That's not what I mean when I say God has an accent. What I mean when I say God has an accent is that God has a unique voice, okay? He has a particular way of speaking that is discernible and understandable. God has a unique voice that is both discernible and understandable. And when I say discernible, what I mean by that is that we can recognize that it's his voice. I can recognize it. Oh, that's, that's what God's voice sounds like. And when I say understandable, what I mean is that you can know what he's saying. You can both recognize that it's God speaking and you can understand what he is actually saying. That's kind of our big idea. And we're going to get to how we understand that voice as we look at this next passage, John chapter 10. Flip over there. I just want to read verses 3 and 4. Jesus is speaking, and Jesus says this. He says, The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Uh, There's a lot of things that a shepherd is supposed to do, all right, the sheep. All right, a shepherd is supposed to go after lost sheep. That's what a shepherd does. A shepherd uh, is supposed to protect the vulnerable. That's what a shepherd does. A a shepherd is supposed to care for uh, the hurts and the wounds uh, that a sheep might experience. But the most important thing that a shepherd actually does, most common task that he actually has, is actually guiding, leading, directing his sheep. That's the most important and, quite honestly, the most common task is to guide and lead and direct his sheep. In fact, Jesus actually says that the sheep will hear his voice and they will recognize it as his and follow. So they recognize his voice, they know what he's saying, the following, and they actually do it. Now, you can actually go to uh, the Middle East today and you will see shepherds with their sheep. Um, sometimes, if weather's really bad, there might even be a <clears throat> couple different flocks of sheep that will gather together because their shepherds gather them together and they will shelter like overnight in a cave. Um, if you've ever been to the Middle East, uh, especially around Israel and some of the, the hills and highlands, there, there's a lot of different caves in the mountains, in the valleys. And so they might all go in there and they will hunker down for the night. And when the weather's good in the morning, um, one of the shepherds will invariably get up and will walk out of the cave and will start calling to his sheep. Now, all the sheep are just kind of chilling, hanging out together, okay? When the shepherd starts to call his sheep, just his sheep will begin to get up and walk out of the cave and begin to follow him. The other sheep won't move. They won't get up and walk out, only that shepherd's sheep. Why? Because they know the voice of their shepherd. They recognize it. As his, and so they will actually then walk out and follow where that shepherd guides them. Jesus says he's the same way. Jesus says he's the same. Now, if you're like me, 
as we've been doing this series, you've probably been thinking to yourself, yo, T, I get it. Like, all right, you've convinced me God still speaks, okay? God wants to speak. Uh, I believe that. Uh, if, I, if I'm willing to try to listen to him, he might even want to speak to me. But here's my rub. How do I know when it's God's voice and not my voice? How do I know when it's God's voice and maybe not some other voice? How, how do I tell the difference? You ever felt that way? Man, I do. Sometimes I want God's voice to sound like my voice. You know what I mean? I'm like, but God, I really need this. Like, I really want, like, like if I got this, Lord, and God's like, yeah, but will you trust me? So I started asking the question then, like, all right, Lord, how do we discern? The way that we discern God's voice is by spending lots of time listening to him. Where do we listen to God's voice? The Bible. Uh, let me give you an example of what I mean by this. Uh, I think it was the early 1800s or maybe the 18th century, 1799, I think it was. Um, we found, I shouldn't say we, I think it was some English dude, found the Rosetta Stone. You ever heard of the Rosetta Stone? Okay. Uh, one of the most important archaeological finds of the 18th century. Um, it has uh, the same thing written in three languages. Now, up until this time, we had lots and lots of archaeological evidence uh, of Egyptian hieroglyphics. Like, we saw them all over the place around Egypt and all these different things, but we had no idea how to actually decipher what was being written. We knew it had to be some sort of a language, but we didn't know what it meant. Uh, hieroglyphics had been lost as a language for centuries and centuries and centuries. And so we knew it existed. We saw it all around us, but we didn't know how to actually interpret it until we found the Rosetta Stone. Because on the Rosetta Stone, it had not just hieroglyphics on the top, it then also had Demotic, which is an ancient Egyptian uh, written language as well. And underneath that, it had Greek. Now, hieroglyphics and Demotic, we did not know how to translate those at all. But Greek was a known language. And so scholars were able to take a known language, Greek, and then help understand an unknown language, hieroglyphics. And today, we're able to read hieroglyphics all throughout Egypt because of the Rosetta Stone. There's actually uh, language software, have you heard of this, called the Rosetta Stone language software. Any of you guys ever use that? Anybody ever use? Oh, a number of you, yeah. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I think one of the first things you have to do when you plug in the Rosetta Stone software is they make you count to 10, right? And I think you have to say a, a, certain, a, a few certain words that they want you to say. And the reason that they're doing that is because uh, they have speech software that is starting to learn how you speak. And so what they're actually doing in that speech recognition software is taking what is known and then helping to translate what is unknown. God's word, the Bible, is kind of like the Rosetta Stone for us hearing God. It is how we take the known word of God that helps us decipher when God is speaking to us through his spirit so that we can recognize what his voice is actually saying. Uh, did you know that back in 2012, like this whole speech recognition software was kind of a new thing? Um, Google 
back in 2012, they understood the, an English speaker about, um, I think it was, excuse me, I was cheering at the Michigan game a little too much yesterday. Not that they gave me much to cheer for, you know what I'm saying? Back in 2012, Google understood about 67, 68% of what an English speaker said. By 2013, it was up to 77%. By 2015, it was up to 92%, and now it's over 95% of anything that any one of you said, Google would not only understand what you were saying because of how often and how much of the different speech patterns and, and ways that they have begun to recognize that they can not only understand but also be able to then respond to you based on what you have said. That's pretty crazy. How did they get there? They listened to and analyzed your speech over and over and over and over and over again. And Siri's doing it right now with all your phones sitting in your pockets, right? And Alexa, the same thing, all right? They begin to recognize your speech patterns, and as a result, they know not only what you're saying, but how to respond to it. They take the known and they translate it to understand the unknown. And that's exactly what Scripture is intended to do for us. If you want to know what God's voice sounds like, if you want to decipher his accent, to recognize when it's God speaking versus you or somebody else speaking, if you want to not just recognize when it's God speaking but what he's actually saying, you have to spend time in Scripture. There's just no other way. Spending time with Scripture happens in a number of different uh, kind of venues, though. First and foremost is church. Every single week, you come to TLC, and I'm going to open up God's Word, and I'm going to try to help us understand what God is saying and how it applies to our lives. And the more we get to understand what God's known Word says for us, the more we're going to recognize what His voice sounds like when He's speaking to us through His Word that is still alive and active for us today. Uh, another way is by spending time reading God's Word in your private devotions. Taking 10 minutes each day to say, you know what, I'm going to take 10 minutes, I'm going to read. It's going to, maybe it's a chapter, maybe it's four or five verses, I'm going to spend a little bit of time reflecting on it. Another way is to spend time engaging with God's word in community, that we talk about it in our small group. We open up God's word together and, and, and we discuss what it not only means, but how we're going to apply it and how we're going to hold each other accountable to that. Memorizing God's word. If you want to know what God sounds like, there's no other way than to engage with God in his word. And so if you're here and you're like, eh, I'm not sure I really want to do that. Like, I get that I probably ought to, but like, I'm just not going to take the time and I'm going to be pretty sporadic. And when I show up to church and I'm not really in a small group right now and I'm definitely not doing any like memorizing. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying you're, you're probably not going to know what, what God's saying. It sounds like I'm being mean. I'm not being mean. I'm just trying to be real. If you're not going to put the time in, you're not going to know what God's saying. But I promise you, God is a good father who likes to guide his children. Jesus said that that's one of the things he wants to do. God wants to, and God knows way better than I know 
for myself or way better than you know for yourself. And so if you've got somebody that actually knows what's best for you and knows the future, knows what's coming, and wants to give you guidance, I mean, it kind of makes sense that you'd be like, yeah, like I'll do what, it, you know, I'll do what it takes to figure out the accent. I'll do what it takes so that I can know and follow and actually gain all the benefits that come from an all-wise, all-loving, all-knowing God who actually wants to hang with me. But it does require an engagement in his word. Now, that's the hamburger, okay? That's the big idea for today. But I think when we hear that, we're all like, yeah, okay, I get it. You know, I, I can't make you do it or not do it. It's kind of like challenge by choice. It's up to you at this point. Am I going to really own that and engage with God's word? What I do, though, wants to offer as well today is uh, I'd like to give you six things. They're going to be pretty quick things, but sometimes you're still sitting there and saying, all right, but, but T, I've grown up in the church, and when I hear something, sometimes I'm still not sure, like, is that God's voice or is it my voice? So I want to tell you, over the last 2,000 years, people have been reading God's word and listening to God's voice, and there's been some different ways, some speech patterns that we've begun to recognize that sound like God. And so what I'd like to do is just give you six handles to hold on to. If you're a note taker, uh, these will be some things you might want to take some notes on. Uh, helpful patterns of speech that God often uses. You ready for this? Number one, God calls us to trust him more. God calls us to trust him more. Uh, I've got some uh, good friends of mine. Uh, Jim and Lisa, he uh, wound up getting into a prestigious university overseas to do his PhD. God had provided not just uh, the school for him to go to, made it so clear that that's where they were supposed to be when he was supposed to start. God had also provided uh, financial aid uh, for them. Uh, a place, uh, a, a topic of study, everything was lined up. Um, his wife, Lisa, uh, Jim and Lisa, had gotten pregnant uh, a few months before they went overseas. They'd been there for like two months or so, and they had their first checkup. I think she was about six months along at this point, and first time that she'd had a checkup with a doctor in the UK. And so they go to the, to the checkup, and they, they run a couple of tests, and they say, hey, we need to run a couple more tests. And they come back and say, um, your baby uh, has some problems with his kidneys. And they're pretty significant problems that we need to do some things now. And uh, it's going to mean that your pregnancy is, is going to be a little bit uh, more complicated. And we're going to have to do some stuff when the baby's born. And kind of led them through, this is what the plan is going to be. Jim and Lisa, of course, are freaking out. They're in a country that they have never lived in before. Uh, their uh, family doctors are all back in the States. All their families back in the States and they don't know what to do. So, of course, as soon as they get out of that appointment, they call their doctor at home. Um, they explain, this is the doctor that was seeing uh, them when, when they were uh, living stateside and kind of was their pregnancy doctor through that. And he says, look, what the doctors in the UK want to do is not good. Um, we actually think that there's a much better treatment plan. It needs to be de dealt with more aggressively. Uh, we really recommend that you would um, come back home. So then they talked to their parents. Their parents all felt the same way, like, yeah, you, really, you guys really ought to come back home. This is their firstborn son and all their supports back there. And the medical community in the U.S. says this is the, this is the better kind of plan of attack for how to deal with this issue. So they start saying, like, all right, this is what everybody's telling us, and this is definitely human wisdom, right? I mean, nobody's got a better medical, uh, medical society, medical field than, than the U.S., like, we top, right? 
But they say, like, but why did you bring us over here, God, now? Like, God, you knew this was coming. Well, why did you move us all the way across? Why did you set all this up? Why did you tell us this is where we're supposed to go? This is where we're supposed to go. This is how you're going to provide. And now we've been here for two months, and now we're going to have to leave? And so they started praying. God, what are you up to? And they felt like God came back with a really, really difficult word in the moment. They felt like God came back and said, do you trust me? Do you think I would have led you all the way over here so that it would be for your harm and not for your good? Do you think that I'm maybe not bigger than even human wisdom? And that was not a word that they wanted to hear. They wanted to be like, God, just let us come home. We can be with family. We can work through something that's difficult and scary. And they both together felt like God was saying, will you trust me? And so they decided that God was saying, I want you to stay and I want you to, to go with the UK system and what their plan of attack was. And the pregnancy was a little scary and there were some things that they had to do at delivery. Uh, but George was born. And uh, he was doing pretty good. And after a couple of years, they wound up uh, finishing school. Uh, they moved back home to the same area. Uh, George was, I think, four years old at this time, three or four, and they went in for their checkup um, with their doctor, the doctor, the same doctor that had given them advice that they should move back, and while they're there for that first checkup, the doctor's checking everything out, everything seems to be good with his kidneys, and the doctor says, oh yeah, and uh, actually the, the consensus in the uh, American medical community has actually kind of turned and shifted, and now we're actually doing the same thing that they were doing four years ago in the UK. God, when he speaks, will often say, ask you to trust him more. So if you're like, when is it me and when is it God? God's voice will often ask you to trust him more. Number two, God tells us to humbly and sacrificially love others. Now, love can easily be twisted, right? Our definitions of love. So let me explain. The, the Bible defines love in a cross-shaped way, okay? It's the kind of love that is willing to sacrifice itself for others. Uh, we actually see this uh, with John the Baptist, um, I was going to have you turn there, but I'm not right now. Uh, but in John chapter 3, uh, John the Baptist, he's been like this kind of big dog, really. He's setting the stage for Jesus, but he's got lots of people that are following him. And uh, Jesus now has started his ministry. And so John the Baptist has been baptizing people. Well, Jesus and his disciples are actually starting to baptize people. And some of John's disciples are actually leaving John and actually going and starting to follow Jesus. Okay? John's actually been telling them that they probably ought to do that. However, some of John's disciples come and be like, dude, that guy you were talking about, like, he's down there, and he's baptizing, and everybody's going to him. And they're like, you better do something about this, bro. Like, you know, your, your, your like, ministry's starting to wane. Like, you better step it up. And John says to his disciples, he says, no, I told you, I'm not the Messiah. He is, I'm the one that's coming before him. And that's when John says one of the most beautiful uh, verses in all of Scripture. He says, I must decrease and he must increase. John knew that it meant that his level of influence was going to go down so that Jesus could go up, but that's exactly what John wanted. John wound up being jailed and beheaded just a little while after that. Let me read this story to you. On November 10th, Doris wrote me a note that began, for over five years, I've been crying out to God to help me understand why my husband of over 45 years has Alzheimer's. I've confessed my sins, I've cried, I've prayed, I've fasted, but no answer. The author says, as I continued reading, I learned Doris was writing to tell me 
that a couple of days earlier she had received an answer at last from the story of John the Baptist. She heard God telling her that she was loving God by choosing to accept this very difficult assignment, just as John had accepted his difficult assignment. When she shared her story with me, it sounded very much like what God would say. It took great humility and evidenced sacrificial love both for God and her husband for Doris to accept this assignment. And the voice urging her to do so certainly sounded like God's. God's voice is going to sound like a voice asking you to humbly and sacrificially serve and love others. The third one is God supports his social structures. God supports his social structures. So when we talk about social structures, we're talking about uh, the family, the church, the government. You could probably even add in uh, employers, okay? That gets talked about quite a bit in the New Testament. Uh, but in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you definitely have those three. God ordained. A lot of times people are like, ah, when so-and-so's like in the presidency, that's obviously God ordained. Like, because they, they, they champion what I think is right. And other people are like, well, no, God couldn't have ordained that because they're terrible and awful. And right, it all depends on who happens to be there and uh, what party you subscribe to, doesn't it? But what the Bible tells is that God actually ordained government. God did and the family, and the church. And so God's always going to be for his social structures. Let me give you one uh, little story that will help to uh, identify this. Uh, you guys all know Austin, right? He's on staff with us here, one of our pastors. Uh, Austin and Olivia had uh, just recently gotten engaged. Austin uh, knew he was going to be getting married, and Olivia was applying to grad schools. Olivia uh, applied to a couple of grad schools. Uh, she got into both of them, Butler, in Indiana, and GVSU in Grand Rapids. Austin grew up in Indiana. Austin went to school in Indiana. Austin did his internship in Indiana. All of Austin's ministry connections were in Indiana, okay? So Austin thought, man, it would be great if Olivia would go to Butler. That's going to be way better for me. She's going to be in grad school. I need to find a job. God's called me to ministry. We should choose Butler. The problem was, Olivia really felt like God was saying that he wanted her to go to GVSU. It was the place that she seemed to like better, felt like the program better fit her, all of these different things. And she knew when she began to say that, though, that it wasn't just God calling her. It was calling them. But that was not what was at least in Austin's mind, in his best interest. But Austin also knew that in Ephesians 5, God says that husbands are supposed to love their wives the same way that Christ loved the church, giving themselves up for her. And so Austin said, wherever God's calling you, that's where I will go. Because he recognized that God's voice is in sacrificially loving his wife, that God works through the social structures that he's actually created. And so Austin even at their marriage, when friends were coming up and saying, that's so cool, you guys are moving. What are you going to be doing, Austin? He said, I don't know, because he didn't have a job. He had no job prospects, even. And he moved to Grand Rapids without having any clue what he was going to do. And when he got here, within a week, he got a job working in a ministry that he really loved. And that ministry actually connected him uh, with TLC in a roundabout way, and after his time at that ministry, that year-long commitment that he made was up, 
we were able to hire Austin. This is an actual quote that Austin gave me. He said, and now I get to work for the greatest boss I've ever had. Torin truly is everything I ever hoped for in a boss and feels like the older brother I always wish I had. And one day I hope to grow up to be. This is an actual quote Austin gave, and I'm so glad that I could share it with you. Something like that. It was close to that. Number four, God does not work in confusion. God does not work in confusion. If it's the week before your wedding and an ex from 10 years ago DMs you out of the blue, that is not the voice of God telling you that you should not get married where you all of a sudden have cold feet, okay? That's not what God's voice does. God's voice does not speak in confusion, okay? Uh, God's voice does not speak. God will not use lies to speak to you. God cannot lie. God will not use deceit to speak to you. So if you're in a place where there's confusion, it doesn't mean that God isn't speaking. It just means God is not speaking through that. God doesn't use confusion. He doesn't use lies. He doesn't use deceit. Number five, God tells us not to fear. Uh, One of the most oft-repeated commands in Scripture, in fact, over a hundred different times, In the Old and New Testament, God says, do not fear. Uh, When Brenda and I were talking through, if God was asking us to adopt Max, the story that I shared a couple weeks ago, a huge piece for Brenda was fear. I don't know if I can do this. That feels too hard. Well, we've got too much going on right now. God had to come and tell Brenda, Brenda, don't fear. I know what I'm asking you to do is hard. I know it won't be easy. I know you're scared of whether you can handle it. But I'm not going to call you to something necessarily because it's easy, but I will call you to something because it is good and it is best. God tells us not to fear. In fact, if fear is the thing that's holding you back, that's probably not the voice of God. It doesn't mean that God's telling you that you're supposed to move forward with it. It just means that that's not God telling you not to move forward with it. And the last thing that God, ways that God uh, speaks is God often says unexpected and even at times mysterious things. Unexpected and mysterious things. Uh, I had a few different things that I was going to talk about here, but I'm actually going to share a story that the first service didn't get to hear uh, because I heard it in between services. It's a couple that um, had, they have one car. They've got a, a few kids and they have one car. They really needed to buy a, another vehicle. And they had uh, something um, that was uh, worth a fair bit of money um, that would help them at least get a down payment or more uh, to be able to, to purchase a vehicle uh, for them that they were going to sell. Um, I'm trying to say the story because I, I asked if I could share it, but I, I have to keep it anonymous. So the, this particular item, uh, which is quite valuable, um, they put on Facebook Marketplace. Someone had reached out to them. Uh, wanted to come and buy it. And while they're having a conversation with this guy, God just seems to start bringing up some pieces from their story, ways that God had miraculously worked in their lives and their marriage, some beautiful, beautiful things, and some stuff that was happening in this guy's story. And the guy said, I really, really want this, um, but I need, I need to think about it, and, and maybe would you even be willing to consider uh, um, payments uh, on this? And so... Um, the guy left, and, and they were just kind of talking to God um, separately. And uh, the wife said, 
um, I felt like God said, well, maybe we should just give him, a, like gift him a little portion of it so he can pay it once and we'll just take some money off. Make it a little bit cheaper. We just feel like God's saying he's supposed to be the one that's supposed to have this. And she said, I, I felt God say to me, my gifts are free. And she's like, yeah, but a car is not, Lord. Like, like you don't understand. We don't have a lot of money, God. Don't you remember? You, you know us? We, didn't, we, we don't have a lot of money. This is the only thing we have that's of real value that we can sell to be able to get what we need. And God just said, yeah, but my gifts, my gifts are free. And so she went to her husband and said, Babe, I don't, I don't know because this is. De- she's like, this is definitely not me. Like, I'm the, I'm the finance one. I'm the one who thinks about all this stuff. She said, I felt like God say we're supposed to. My gifts are free. Do you think God was, would want that? And he said, I know he's the one that's supposed to have this. God told me that. And if God's telling you that we need to give it to him for free, then, then I guess that's what we'll do. And so they called the guy up and said, uh, God told us you're supposed to have this. And God also told us he wants to give it to you for free. And the guy couldn't believe it, was just shocked. And they wound up sharing more time uh, talking about their stories. And um, the guy actually told a bunch of his coworkers where he works. And uh, some of his coworkers were literally in tears because of this story. No check showed up the next day. No car miraculously wound up in their driveway. They don't know what God's up to other than God told them to do this and that God is trustworthy and he's never let them down before. Friends, when God says something mysterious or unexpected to you, you can can believe a lot of times that's probably the voice of God. Like the time that God told me to tell a pregnant woman that I'd never met in my life, never saw before, that God saw her and saw her baby and everything was going to be okay. I didn't want to say it, but I said it because she needed to hear it and God use that word to do something powerful and beautiful in her life. God's done that in so many different ways. And the whole reason that we're doing this series is because I want you to know God speaks. He still speaks. The same way that he spoke in the Bible, he speaks through the Bible and through his spirit to you and I today. He wants to guide you. He is a good God. And though he may be mysterious, he is consistent. God is consistent. The ways that he's spoken in the past are ways he's going to want to speak today. And not only is God consistent, but God's voice, though it has an accent, is understandable. It is discernible. You can recognize by spending time with him in his word what his voice sounds like, the types of things that he says, so that when he speaks, you'd be like, wow, that's God because it certainly isn't me. Father God, let us be a people who not just say we want to listen, but actually get quiet enough to hear you. And then, Father God, let us be a people who don't just listen to you, but God, actually then put into practice what you say. Jesus, we are here because we want to hear from you. You promised that when your body gathered together, you as the head of your body would be uniquely present. And God, I'm up here telling everybody that you speak. I can't make you do anything, but I certainly don't want to look like a fool. So God, we're here. What you need to say, say it. God, I want to hear. We want to hear. We want to be people who hear you, 
and obey you and experience the blessing that comes from that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.